0: the great joy this morning of welcoming back to the pulpit from his sabbatical actually back to the table. We don't use a pulpit, uh our pastor, Pastor Sam. Let's welcome him back. So I had gone outside because I love being outside But to do something that you would think pastors would be good at doing, and I'm not. Uh, Before I get to the story, I want to say thank you so much, church, for the gift of the greatest season of spiritual renewal that I've had as an adult. I'm so thankful, and I'm not going to just do sermons on sabbatical, uh, but you, you'll, you'll hear different pieces of things that God showed me as I was away. Uh, there's not a new Ten Commandments. We've got the same Jesus, <laughs> all right? The mission is still to make disciples, right? Uh, and so we're, we're going to make disciples who live in love like Jesus together. The reason I was outside is a few months ago, if y'all were with us as we were walking through the Love Your Neighbor series, I had just taught a sermon on Mary and Martha, and then I had, in my type A self, sat down and I had started making a list of things that I was supposed to do in my role when I was on sabbatical for the church and for you, and so I was making a list of this is what I should probably do, and then I was like, well, I don't really know that that's actually what I I should be doing on my sabbatical, and so I was kind of interrupted in that moment, and god was like why don't you talk to me about it it's my church you'd think that as a pastor I would be be best at like asking that question first instead of like going to my to-do list but sometimes I just try to do it so I'd gone outside we uh we uh, we don't have a really a porch in our home we love our home but we we had uh uh, several years ago when we moved here had put some flagstones out under a tree in our front yard and so that's kind of where I go and I had gone there and I'd sat down and I was like okay God I'll talk to you about what is it I'm supposed to do uh, for your church when I'm on a sabbatical uh, I, I love y'all I love I, and I actually like to do things <laughs> but I didn't know what that would be and uh, and I felt like and and it wasn't like an audible voice or anything at that point but uh, as I was talking to God he was like why don't we just do this like why don't you talk to me about the church and so I was like okay God so I'm supposed to pray uh, yeah I'm like okay I, uh, okay well I'll, what, what, what do you want me to pray for the church uh, I don't know if y'all remember but right before I left I sent a letter uh, to the church just saying th- thank you for the time and I had told you what I wanted to pray over you and then this is as a result of that time in my front yard he pointed me to the prayer in Ephesians 3 where Paul prays for all the saints and the center part of that prayer is about love. He, he prays that God would strengthen the people in the church. And then he, he prays that, that they would be strengthened so that they would know the breadth, the length, the height, and depth. You, know, you might remember this part of the Bible. In fact, Jeff Warren preached it here in the pulpit three weeks ago or two weeks ago. And so that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And so I've worked on memorizing it and praying that. And uh, I'm not trying to get credit. Actually, what I'm trying to show you is actually the opposite. I'm, I'm not as good at doing this as, as I, a pastor should be. So as, as I'm praying that prayer through my time over you and the church, God started to do something in me. God started to show me on different and new levels, not how good I am at praying, that's not, how much God loves you. If you're here today and maybe you've never heard this before or maybe you have, God Loves you. But God loves you. Yeah. God loves you. 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 God loves you. And as I've been praying that prayer and then, and then looking forward to what we're going to do in Advent, we're going to walk through the Advent themes as we just walk through the story in Luke. The Advent theme we're going to talk about today it's love. And we're going to read a story that, that you're possibly, and, and I would even say probably, familiar with. And I'm going to say it this way through the series because I wanted to get stuck in your head. I'm going to use some big words and I'm going to explain them today a little more than I had time to last week. But what I want us to do with this familiar story of the Christmas nativity is I want us to look through the history to the theology of the nativity. I want read it with me, real quick. Look through the history to the theology of the nativity. What do those big church words mean? Well, history is not just a church word. History, when you study history, you're really studying what happened and in what order. And we're going to do that. We're, We're going to look at Luke's account as he gives us the details of what happened and in what order. But I want us to look through that, just the story to theology, which is really studying who God is and why he matters. And today, how much you matter to him, we're gonna see in the theology of the nativity. So I don't know when the last time you heard or maybe today on a new and different level, you can hear that God And his son, Jesus, love you as we walk through the nativity story. He loves you, church. In order to honor God's word, uh, this is just something we sometimes do in our services, just to acknowledge that what we are reading is different than when I talk. This is what I'm about to read to you is the inspired word of God that we believe was written down for us to benefit from. Stand with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it's going to be on the screens. If you don't have it yet, you can look on in a Bible in the pew there in front of you. you don't own one, that's a gift for you. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now I want to invite you, if you're able, if it's comfortable, if not, you can just sit down. But if you're able and it's comfortable, I'm going to invite you to your knees. For this reason, I bow my knee Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you have a Bible and you're taking notes, I want to invite you to open it again where we just read Luke chapter 2. And the first thing that I want to show you, not just in the story, but in the theology behind the story is that God loves us so much he gave us his son. That God loves us so much he gave us his son. Last week we looked briefly at the setting. Verse 6 and 7 tell us about the birth. Verse 6 And while they, this is Joseph and Mary, were there. Where is there? Bethlehem. While they were there in Bethlehem, and this is a big deal. We mentioned last week why. Because in Micah, it was promised that there would be a baby born in Bethlehem who would be a king. And guess where they are? Bethlehem. While they were there... It says, the time came. While, while they were there, says, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I think there's a double fulfillment of this, the time came. Uh, there's a history fulfillment, and there's also a mommy fulfillment. Like, she was great with child, which I'm told you can never tell to a pregnant woman, right? Uh, if, yeah, if, if, yeah, her oven had deemed, right the time came okay that's the first thing but I think as, as Luke's telling us the story and Luke just gives us just a few verses around the birth so he's choosing on purpose to give us these details so that you and I can learn about God and we've seen that they're in the place in Bethlehem we've seen that they're in the line of David, and we knew that in the line of David there would be a baby who would be born, who would rule forever. And in fact, if you want to just have fun with it a little more, that it starts with telling us that there was a Caesar Augustus. I, used to, I gave more syllables to his name, I think. Caesar Augustus and, and Quirinius, these, these people that the Jews would have seen as evil kings. And God used those evil kings to get his people in the right place for the time. In fact, uh, one of the theologies you see behind the nativity is the sovereignty of God to, to take and make his plan play out the way he wanted Him. So the time had come. God was working all things for this moment in history. The time had come for her to give birth and it says verse 7 and she gave birth birth to who? It's going to say her but I, I'm going to dig into what's what's we're seeing here for just a second she's giving birth to the promised king the king who would be in the line of David who would reign forever and Matthew, again, tells us she was a virgin. Luke alludes to it in the verse previous to 6, saying that they were just betrothed and not married. This is going to be Emmanuel, God with us, not just her child, but the very Son of God. The time came for her to give birth, for God, the sovereign, divine, eternal, to become flesh, The time came for to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. I was walking through what Luke's telling us. Again, if you want to, verse 7 is really the only verse in all of our Bible that talks about the history. There's a lot of verses, I'm going to go to a few of them today, that talk about the theology behind this moment. But the history of this moment, recording there was... No God on earth. And then, it probably didn't happen like that, moms, I know. But yeah. And then there's God on earth. And, and he, could have, he could have recorded any detail that he wanted to record. These are the ones he's telling us. The time had come. Here he is. She gave birth to her firstborn son. I'd never seen this before. Do you know that you can... Interpret, and there are a few English translations that do it this way, the words here, firstborn son, as her only begotten son. If God in his sovereignty has worked out all of this and the time has come for his son to be born, why? Why? What can we learn about who God is? What's the theology behind the history here? Well, interestingly, and the only begotten triggered this in my mind as I was prepping. Jesus himself, the one who was born in the manger, talks about the nativity moment. And he tells us why God orchestrated in his sovereignty this to happen. Y'all know the verse if you've been in church all of your life, John 3, 16. What's the theology behind the nativity? Jesus himself said in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus that God so loved the world he gave his only son. This is Christmas Jesus is saying, why did God do this? Why did did the the one who created the universe bring this time to happen for his son to be born? It's because God God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. another moment in my life where I had to learn something that I should be good at that I'm not I'd uh, gone to this is an old joke now for me the cemetery, the seminary and learned how to study this book which is good for my type A mind because I I had my to-do list on the things I was supposed to do as I was doing sermon prep so I knew I was supposed to read the text over and over and over. Read the text over and over and over. And after you've read it over and over, then diagram the text first in English, and then try to diagram it in a original language. And then then look, 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 make sure you can see. Like I was, I knew knew the. And make sure you study the text. My, my profs were always study the text first. Know what the text says before you go to the commentary, because it's amazing how much light the text will shed on the commentary. And and then go to the commentary and. And once you've read the commentary, go back and make sure that what you're seeing in the text is things that other people have seen in the text and study that, make sure. And so I, I was a new teaching pastor and I was doing my to-do list. And I think that those aren't bad things. Like Paul commands Timothy, preach the word. And I was like, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for Sunday. I was feeling that emotion. I was like, I don't, what else should I do? And I was like, well, maybe I should talk to God about it. Hello. He wrote it. So similar to that moment I had a few weeks ago in my front yard, I, I kind of set my Bible down and my to-do list I had around my Bible. And I said, God, uh, what do you want me to tell your children? That's the way I... I verbalized it out loud. And as I verbalized that word out loud, I felt this almost audible response back. Sam, if your children couldn't hear your audible voice, what would you want someone to tell them? And it was immediate, right? If you're a parent here in the room, tell them how much I love them. I don't know what you've grown up in uh, church background-wise or maybe even the way that your devos go or or, or maybe like me, you default to the to-do's or the things that you didn't do. (laughs) God loves you. He loves you. God loves you. And the theology behind the nativity is that God orchestrated this moment in history so that it could happen because he loves you. He loves you. And I I don't, so so our, our, this is his son. I think in the West, uh, Christmas on some level has kind of become about us showing kids that we love them by giving them gifts, right? Like it's like we wanna show kids that we love them by giving them a gift. And that's not bad. Uh, I I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, we were in this room doing a service for one of our families who had lost a child. And I remember listening to the parents talk about how much they loved the child. And then Grant, our youth pastor, coming up and reading a verse that in this context just blew me away. And I never heard it read in a funeral. But he said, Oh, how great a love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And God loves you so much that he was going to give a gift, but get this, his gift, and parents, if you think about this, his gift was not just a gift to his children. His gift was his kid like can you imagine that thanksgiving morning uh our youngest ellie got a temp and i'm not telling this story for y'all to feel sorry for us pray for a little love if you want to but ellie's not well yet Uh, on friday she was diagnosed with pneumonia and I, I tell you, one watching one, how much my bride loves her kids has reminded me of the love of God for you. But watching, like thinking, how, do anything, right? If you're a parent or a grandparent or someone that you love, right? To do, to, 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 God loves you so much. He gave his kid to you so that you and I could be with them forever. The theology of the nativity is God loves us so much he gave us his son. But I want you to see also there's another player in the nativity that is talked about in theology. In fact, we could also go to the Holy Spirit but today the Holy Spirit's not evident in specific the verse we're reading but someone else is showing up And he was part of deciding to show up, and I'm going to show you that today. Jesus loves us so much, he humbled himself for us. That Jesus, the Son of God, loves you so much, he chose to humble himself for you and I. Here's what we read. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped Jesus, him, that's Jesus, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What is, what is this historically? The swaddling cloths, actually I've heard people when they talk about the swaddling cloths say, well, Jesus' parents were so poor they didn't have mon- enough money for a full blanket. And so he had these like swaddling cloth blankets they had to piece together. Well, it was pieces of cloth, but it, this is what they did at that point in time if you were taking care of a child well. We actually know from books in history outside of our Bible, they tell us that Solomon was swallowed. I mean, this is, this is, this is good care for a child. They would, at that point in time, they thought it would help the bones after coming out of mom to, to heal straight and all that. And they'd wrap their arms and their legs together he was taken care of well interesting Luke brings it up twice in the little details that he gives us he brings it up when the shepherds are hearing from the angels But there's something he brings up actually another time as well and that is when he was born he was wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths and he was laid where in a manger Away in a manger. What is a manger anyway? Like That's not a, a word that we use just the daily. Most of us have an idea of what it is because of our nativities, right? Uh, a manger was literally what the animals would eat and drink out of. I don't know how many of you have a dog at home. <laughs> can, can you imagine that bowl being bigger? And just putting your baby in it? Like, I'm just trying to, what? Like, the king's first throne on earth was a trough. This is the great paradox of the good news that Christians say we believe. That the exalted King became low. Why? We'll get there. They put him the wrapping swaddling cross. They put him in a manger, which again the manger shows up multiple times as Luke tells the story. It's something he wanted us to know that this guy was in a trough. God's Son, Jesus was in a trough laid him in a manger there was no room for them it says in the inn Uh, notice it doesn't talk about this long search at night and going around to all these hotels and you know uh, it doesn't say that Uh, even in the English we can see that Uh, interestingly and a lot has been written about this over the last 50 years but the word there that's Translated as in, in many of our English versions, some now have started translating it differently, was most commonly used at this point in time to refer to a guest room. Luke uses it one other time in his Gospels, and he uses it when Jesus is telling his disciples, go into Jerusalem and you'll find a man, ask him if we can use his guest room for Passover, That becomes the upper room, what we're going to remember together here in a few minutes with the Lord's Supper. So guest room is how it was normally used. Luke refers at one other time in his Gospels to a clear hotel in the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you know that story. And when he talks about a hotel, he uses a very different word. Why does that matter? I don't know that it matters a ton, but here's what it looks like is happening the context tells us that Joseph was from in fact Matthew makes it almost sound like Joseph may have still had a home in Jerusalem I mean not Jerusalem Bethlehem excuse me but he was from the family of David and the family's place their city was Bethlehem so it may have kind of been like thanksgiving where everyone's showing back up, extended family together, and maybe you saw your extended family and you weren't important enough, important enough to get in the guest room. Uh, Jesus and mom, who was pregnant, wasn't important enough. This is a diagram of what they think, and there's a lot of ruins, obviously, in that part of the world of what this, the houses in Bethlehem would have looked like. Bottom floor was where they kept Animals. Uh, the, the middle floor there, when I, that, uh, I say middle, is only two stories, but the roof was also used a lot at that point in time. Middle floor would have probably been where the guest room was. And so many have argued, well, if you look at just the words that are recorded here, he was probably at a family gathering, couldn't make it into the guest room, and so he's in the cattle trough downstairs. If you go into the history a little more, if you'll bear with me, I think it actually even gets lower than that. Uh, the history of the nativity if you go to Israel right now you can go to see the church of the nativity that was built in the 300s and the place where you go where they said Jesus was born is actually down into a cave and that actually lines up with a lot Uh, why well Chrysostom wrote in the 300s that ever people ever since Jesus was born that people had come back to where he was born to visit it Uh, There was a guy, a a bad emperor, uh, that put a pagan shrine on top of a cave in around 120 to apparently defame the cave in Bethlehem. Uh, The early church fathers writing in the hundreds said that he was born in a cave. That was kind of their consistent spot. And if you look at what was happening in that point in time, if the animals were not important enough, or if you were like super wealthy and you couldn't get them all in your house... The animals, even that couldn't be at home, would go outside of the city, and there would be caves where they would keep some of the sheep at night or some of the other animals at night. And it looks like Jesus didn't get in the guest room, but he didn't even fit in the house, right? He ended up in a cave outside in the city. Is there a point you're trying to make here, Jesus? I want you to see the, the theology between, behind the humility of the nativity in the words of Paul. So if you, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Christmas. And as Philippians chapter 2 talks about Christmas, it tells us that Jesus was born on purpose. Like he, he, he was part of this decision and it was in order to communicate something to you and I and then to do something for you and I and and he's going to combine the words humility that you and I should have as we follow the example of Christ in Christmas and a word that we've been talking about today the word love he says if there's any encouragement in Christ if there's any comfort from what Love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same, what? Love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, literally to hold on to, to tight fist and say, I'm going to stick with this equality with God thing. But instead, verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born if you if you'd like to take notes in your bible or draw things as like one of the the end things right now for especially ladies is to actually draw something in your bible this is christmas if you want to draw some kind of christmas here This is Jesus choosing to let go of all that he had and humble himself and come to the earth and be born. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Notice. Paul's tie from the crib to the cross. As he pulls the two together and you see that the story of Jesus coming to earth was to humble himself ultimately because he loves us. Even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God was highly exalted He has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know that Jesus loves us so much he humbled himself for us You know, one of the things that I told myself I was doing to be a servant of my family was uh, the yard work. And 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 I'm just being confessing because yard work I actually like to do. It wasn't I was doing it to serve the family. I would tell myself that sometimes. Oh, I'll help us get ready for the guests that are going to come to our home. And my wife's always like, help clean inside. And I want to go clean outside. But to serve our family and do the yard work... Uh, I, I was outside pruning some pots that we had and, and, uh, and our, just outside our front door and I'm spinning the pot and I'm pruning the pot and as I'm pruning the pot, I with the pruning shears, and don't feel sorry for me, uh, it's not as bad as many people experience, but I cut off the end of my finger with the pruning shears. I'm on like scab eight now, I think. It's, it just keeps, because uh, it, it was so many levels down and I was like, Ow aha ha so I did like any real man does I called Rebecca I was like I need you to come help me (laughs) Rebecca's a PA and she's like what what happened was like I got an owie like I mean I'm like (laughs) so she came and she doctored it up and it's it's amazing how sorry I felt for myself and how much that little thing made me need my family just to serve me for weeks and weeks. Yeah, no, I don't think I can, I don't think I can get up right now to help with the vacuuming. My, my finger is sore. Uh, y'all know how we, we work, right? Jesus Loves you so much he was willing to humble himself and not just to become a man but to become a man that would be ridiculed take on your pain and mine your sin and mine and to suffer and die in our place I mean I don't I love my wife, but if she said, hey, would you cut off my finger for you? I mean, your finger, what, I said that wrong. (laughs) You're probably listening. I do love you. Please don't ask me to do that. Jesus, do you know what he did? He loves you so much. It's a story. It's more than the story. As you look through the history to the theology of the nativity, we see a God who loves us so much he gave us his son. And we see that Jesus loves us so much he humbled himself for us. So what? Oh, you're like, okay, so you're telling me God loves you. So what, Sam, I've heard that before. Maybe you've heard that before. You're like, so what? Hey, here's what I wanna challenge you And when I say challenge, it's really good, and so it's not like cutting off your finger. It's the opposite. I want to invite you. Invite you back to the Mary and Martha story that I told you kind of led me outside. We're we're in a, and I got an email from one of our church family members saying this yesterday. We're in a season that is like Martha for so many people. Like Christmas is like, go, 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 go. I want to invite you in this season. We're going to keep walking through Luke as a church, but I want to invite you in this season to yourself to find time. Maybe it's with Advent, right? Individually or as a family. But to, to step outside of just all the to-dos and to dos and to be merry and to, to hear God tell you through the Christmas story the beautiful theology that he loves you, that God loves you so much that he would send his son, Jesus. Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.